Welcome to the Gathering at Adel. Today's message is from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at Jesus' answer to the question, What is the greatest commandment? Man, we are in Matthew, surprise, surprise, Matthew chapter, we went like 21, 22, 23. We just kind of like sped this along as we're gearing up. But uh, man, I, I have so enjoyed reading through Matthew. This week was a fun reading through 21, 22, 23. What I enjoy about it is it gives you a full picture. If you're just reading passage here, passage there, passage there, it's so easy to take it out of context, to, to not do it on purpose, but to just like read into something that it's not. And when you're able to walk through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, you're able to sit here and go, okay, that's what he's talking about. That's what this is about. And, and I love this because right here, we're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And what, what I love about this is the very first verse, that verse 34 and 35, it says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. And he said, Teacher, which command is in the law is the greatest? But I love that. It says he asked a question to test him. And, and throughout Matthew, if you've, if you've been tracking with us all this time, you'll realize that this is a common theme where the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the experts in the law, the lawyers, the scribes, the religious elite ask him a question not to get knowledge, not to have truth, not to have wisdom, but to trick him, to test him, to trip him up, to trap him. And, and we've seen this. He, he's talked about fasting. The, the Pharisees have asked him about fasting, about, oh, working on Sunday, about picking grain. And his disciples were walking through a field and pick some grain. And they said, is that okay to do? And, you know, Jesus begins to do that. They, they try to trick him and trap him on divorce. Like, hey, is it lawful for this? And Jesus, every time, responds perfectly. And what I love is if you just see this one passage, you might miss it. But if you've walked through the book of Matthew, you will see that nine times up, up to this, this is the ninth time in 22 chapters where the Pharisees have tried to trick him, trap him, test him. And we can become hardened toward the religious elite like, man, look at those turds, man. They're trying to trip up Jesus. But it's honestly all for God's plan and for his purposes, like, what, what are we leading up to? Matthew 21, 22, 23, what are we leading up to right now in, in, in this time, in this passage? Anybody know? Crucifixion, the celebration of what feast? Passover, right? Passover is being celebrated. Jesus just entered in, rode in on Matthew chapter 21, rode in on a donkey, the, the, the unkingdom way to do it, and he rides in on a donkey. And what I love about this is, Passover meant that everybody was coming back to offer up their sacrifices. They're coming in. They're making these long journeys. And we look where Jesus overturns the tables in Matthew 21. He goes in the temple and he turns over the table. He chases out the money chasers, changers, and says, hey, that my house will be called a house of prayer. What, what the money changers were doing, what they were selling the sacrifices, and they were, they were doing the exchange rate based on where everybody came from. And what happened is they began to sell the animals so that you didn't have to travel from far off and make a sacrifice. You bring your animal all the way. You could buy one at the temple. 
And, and, and it started off as a good thing. Can you imagine making the, the journey, not hopping into your F-350 and driving? No, it, it's like you're walking with, with your family, your donkeys and all this, and then you got your sacrifice. And what would happen if your sacrifice died on the way? What, what are you going to do? You have to try to figure it out. And so this started up as a good thing. Hey, we'll, we'll start this. And so what's happening is all the Israelites are coming back with their sacrifices. And what are they doing? They present them to the priest for what? They present them to the priest because the priest is going to take it. And what is he going to do? He's going to inspect it to make sure that it's what? Pure and spotless. And what are the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees doing? They're testing Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And they don't realize it, but they're testing him. And when Jesus answers, he shows his purity. He shows that I am the pure, spotless lamb, the one sacrifice for all of time. And so they, they go through all of these tests, and Jesus comes right here and says, man, I've been shown to be without spot or blemish. Hebrew says that we have a great high priest that's been tempted in every way that you've been tempted, yet he was without sin. Jesus is the pure, spotless lamb. That's been tried and tested by the priest, the religious elites, and he's been found without fault. They found fault in their eyes, but in the eyes of the Lord, there was no fault to be found. And they're always going through this. And they come to this point, like, what is the greatest command? You have the Ten Commandments and you have the 613 commands of the Jewish law. And this has been a debate that's been going on and on for thousands of years. What is the greatest command? You know how we sit around and we debate, oh, who's the greatest president? Or like, who's the greatest basketball player? And people nowadays are like acting a fool, saying it's LeBron James, it's Michael Jordan from here till eternity. Like, he's the best. Kobe Bryant's the second. And then we'll talk about LeBron third. But like, it's this debate that we talk about. Who's the greatest of all time? What, what's, who's the greatest president? Who was the greatest basketball player? Who's the greatest this, the greatest this? Where's the greatest place to find a good cup of coffee, right? Where's the greatest restaurant, greatest place to take a date? And we have these debates, and they had that debate, to, and they're saying, what is the greatest command? And just like I silenced the debate, the debate with the basketball player, Michael Jordan, hands down, Jesus silences the debate, and he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second greatest is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, you know, like, hey, that's the end of the story. Because all the law and all the prophets hang on these two things. All the law and the, all the prophets depend on these two things. And so the debate is over. The, but what he quotes is not the Ten Commandments. He, what he quotes is not one of the 613 commands. He doesn't quote like, they're like, hey, what's the greatest command? Like, let's see what he's going to say. Let's trick him and trap him. He's going to mess up. And he quotes one passage out of Deuteronomy, and he pass, quotes another passage out of the book of Leviticus. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. He, he totally goes against what they thought and against their playbook, and he begins to quote. The first one is, is love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It comes out of Deuteronomy. I think we have that passage up there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. 
says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let, there be a, let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on the, your city gates. It wasn't a command from God. When they ask him, what's the greatest command? He says, well, that is. In Deuteronomy, he quotes this part. In that, that part in Deuteronomy, it's called the, the Shema. It's S-H-E-M-A, the Shema. And it was a teaching. It was a prayer that they would go through. And when it says, hey, I want you to bind it on your wrist and on your forehead and on your doorpost. Right? When, when you wake up, when you lie down, when you come and when you go, teach it. Bind it to their hearts. And that, that's exactly what they did. The first thing that they spoke in the morning was the Shema. The last thing they spoke at night and they taught it to their kids was the Shema. They tied it on their doorpost. If you were to walk into their houses, there would be like this little wooden box on the doorpost. Some would write it on there, like hang like a, a cloth around it. Some would put it in a little box, a little wooden box, and it'd be a little tiny piece of paper and it would have the Shema on there. And it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It says bind it to your wrist. That They would do that. I mean, you know, it's like a watch. It's not really a watch, but that's what it would be. It would be a leather strap with a little uh, wooden box on your wrist, and you would open it up, and in there would be that little tiny piece of paper. There's actually, a, and there, there's names for it. I didn't even try to tell it to you. You can uh, Google fact check me. Th these things do exist. But then there's another one that where it says tie it around your forehead. And there would be a strap that you would put around your forehead, and there would be a little wooden box right there. And you would pull it out, and it would have the, 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 the Shema on it. So Jesus goes completely against what they thought. They thought, hey, we can handle this. We know what he's going to say. And he's saying no. That is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he comes through there and he says, and I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Once again, not one of the 10 commandments and not one of the 613 commands of the law. This actually comes out of the book of Leviticus chapter 19. If you want to turn there with me uh, or it's up on the screen just for quickness sake. 19 verses 17 and 18. He's, quote, he's quoting this. He says, do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus takes these, this question, what is the greatest command? And he points right back to what the Lord has already spoken, to where they have forgotten it, like Kelly was talking about, returning to your first love. There's a letter in the book of Revelation. He writes to a church and he says, hey, you're doing some things really good. But this is the one thing that I have against you. He says, I see your works. I see your labor. I see your endurance. But I hold this against you. you you've forgotten your first love. And what Jesus is trying to teach them here is forget the commands. The, the Ten Commandments... The law and the prophets hang on these two. You're worried about the Ten Commandments. You're worried about the 613 commands of the law. And he's saying, forget it. You'll never be able to do that. But do this. 
The Ten Commandments are summarized by these two. The first four commandments are about our relationship with the Father, to love God. The second part, the last six, are about how we are to interact with our brothers and our sisters, how we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So he says, there, there's ten, but you, you've forgotten it. You, I've seen your work and your labor and your endurance, but you've forgotten love. All, all they're trying to do is stick right to the line and follow the commands, and they want to be right here out of their own work and their own ability and their own labor and endurance. And he's saying, forget that. Love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. I mean, e even later on, in, and I want to say it's uh, Luke, they, they, they talk about, you know, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And an expert in the law, a lawyer says, well, who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. A neighbor is anyone that you cross paths with. It, it, it's not your neighbor in your neighborhood. It's not the person down the road. It, it's anyone that you cross paths with. Love anyone that you cross paths with as you love yourself. Jesus is teaching here, and he, he pulls off of there. Even This is also told in Mark chapter 12. But even when you go back to Deuteronomy, there, there's this word in there. It starts off, he says, hear, O Israel, or listen. It, it's a word, and we start off right here where it says, love the Lord. It's this listen, but it's not just like, hey, I, hey, listen to me real fast. It's, hey, I want you to listen to this with the intent to obey. If you ever... And if you ever have to borrow a tool from me, you, you need to hear that word listen with the intent, intent to obey because I'm going to tell you, hey, you're going to walk into my garage and it's going to be messy. But I need you to listen. You're going to have to step over that pipe. Right, I mean, right when you open that door, turn the light on. It's to the right because there's going to be a pipe and you're going to fall. Step over that pipe. You're going to... Take an immediate left. If you go too far, you're going to run into some gas spills that my, my kids spilled my gas can. Don't mess with that. Go right to the left, right? Oh, you, you need a wrench. Okay, well, listen, all the way to the back, but not all the way to the back. Right before you get to the back, turn to your left again. There's going to be two toolboxes. The top one, discard it. Just set it to the side. Pull the top piece out of the second toolbox, and there will be a wrench there. There's a blue one and a red one. Don't use the red one. You don't want to know why. Use the blue one. And, and this is what the Lord is saying. He's saying, listen with the intent to obey. Have you ever done that with your kids? You know, you're like, hey, I need you to take out the trash. Yeah, got it. You know, like nine, then it's like 930 at night. It's getting close to bedtime. And you, you come to them, you're like, hey, I need you to listen to me. I need the trash taken out. And they're like, dad, I know, I got it. I'm like, no, bud. If you really enjoy that phone and you really want it tomorrow, then you're going to take out the trash. Yeah. Dad, I got it. You know, then I wake up in the morning and the trash is still there. Like, okay. Yeah. But it's this, this listen with the intent to obey. It's not just, hey, what's the greatest command? And he says, oh, you know, uh, let's see. We could just pull one out. Uh, love the Lord. He goes, no, no, I want you to hear me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. 
And I want you to love them with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, with your mind. I want you to do this. And you can't just hear my words. But I need you to follow my words. Because if you follow my words, they lead to a life of blessing. Not, not like, oh, I follow him and, I, I, and he, re, he rewards me because, I, no. If you follow my ways, if you follow my path, it will lead to life. When Jesus is saying this, he's not flippantly, let's just pull one out of the air. But he's saying, hey, man, Jeff, I need, you to, I need you to hear me on this. I want you to follow my commands. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then what I want you to do, when you wake up, I want it to be on your mind. When you go to bed, I want it to be on your mind. When you come and when you go, I want it to be, I want it on your doorpost, on your wrist, on your forehead. It's not this flippant. This is the key to life and, and livelihood and success. Not success with money and wealth, but success in the, in the kingdom of God. If you want to live a life that is pleasing, that is worthy of the gospel, he says you must do this. He says to love him with his heart. He goes, I want you to love me with your whole heart. Not part of your heart, not, not a little bit, not, not on days where things are going your way, where, when, when things just seem to be clicking, where the kids are obeying and, and all the things happening. He says, I want you to love me with your whole heart when it's good, when it's bad, when it's ugly, when you have plenty, when you're in lack. I want you to love me with your whole heart, with, with your thoughts, with your words, and with your deeds, with your actions. How do we love God with all of our hearts? It's with our thoughts. It's with our words and it's with our actions. And th this love is not this romantic idea. There, there's four different words for love in the Greek. This is not the one that's like, oh, let's just sit there and we'll just tell each other how much we love each other. You know, when you first start dating and it's great. This is like, hey, 20 years has gone by and man, I just got to like love the Lord. It, it, it's like with my thoughts, with my words, with my actions. If I'm going to love him with my heart, those are the three areas I have to love him with. He says, now I, I want you to love me with all of your soul. Your soul is that, that area that's just our desires and our affections. I want you to love me with your soul, with all of it. All of your desires should be directed towards him. All of your affections should be directed towards him. And you're like, but what about my family? Aren't I supposed to love my family? You cannot love your family unless you love the Lord. You will not love your family well, fully and completely, unless you're loving the Lord fully and completely. Because when your affections are not towards him, it will be on other things. And that, those other things will pull your desires and affections for your family away. Or you will go and try and meet your desires and affections in an ungodly way. And that pulls you away from your family. You can think that you're trying to love them, but you will never love them fully and completely unless you're loving the Lord fully and completely. Our desires and affections should be pointed towards him. And it says, love with my mind. Love me with your mind. With our intellect, with our attitudes. It's like, man, what, what does that mean? How can I love the Lord with my mind? with my intellect, with my attitudes, 
Remember the word says, Philippians 4, 8. It says, hey, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable, think about those things. To, to set your mind not on things below, but on things above. He says that we are renewed, or that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Thank you, second row people. Right? We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we love him with all of our mind? It's that we do not allow untruth and lies to take place in our minds. When we see, when we see lies spoken about us, spoken about others, we dispel them. When the enemy begins to talk to you about how worthless you are, how you're still in the same sin, how you're never going to pull out of it, how you're not as good as such and such, or how you can't get past this, we love him with all of our minds because we say that's not true. That's not who I am. That might be who I was, but in Christ Jesus, I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the, the, the new has come. I was dead, but now I'm alive in Christ. We, we, we love him with all of our mind, by not putting garbage in it, by not allowing ourselves to be entertained, by, by not allowing ourselves to watch shows that are going to continue to put junk in it. That's about as nice as I can say it right now. If you want to hear another version, we can talk later. But, but quit putting that stuff in you and then expecting to be able to love the Lord with it. It's never going to work out. It's with everything. It's not a one-time choice. Like, like we don't get to say, hey, I, I got baptized at the age of 12 and I said, man, I love you. But it's making a conscious choice every day. Like, like you talk to pretty much everybody in here. I would like to thank everybody. And you say, man, do you love the Lord? And you're like, man, I, I really do. I love the Lord. Man, he's so good. But when was the last time that we woke up and said, Father, I want to love you today. I want to love you in the, in the way that I entertain myself, on the things that I think about. I want to turn all my desires and affections towards you. It's so similar to a wedding vow. Me and my wife have been married 20 years. If the only time that I told her that I love her, for better or for worse, Till death do us part, for rich or poor. If the only time that I spoke those words over her were that one time, we would not be at 20 years. <laughs> it, it's a conscious choice to wake up every day and say, Lord, how can I love you today? What, what can I do today to love you? And eventually, it can sound like works. It can sound like, ooh, striving and trying to make this happen but it's not. It's a choice to continue to, to be in fellowship with him. If I want to continue to be in fellowship with my wife, I don't just run off and do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. It has to be partnership together. He says the next one is to love your neighbor as yourself. If you put that Leviticus passage back up there, we... If, if, we're not, if we're not careful, we can make a really good sermon about what it looks like to love our neighbors as ourselves. We can come up with all of the things, and, and there'll, there'll be really good things that are relevant to this culture. But this is the passage that Jesus quoted. 
So I'm not, I'm not going to like add anything. All I'm going to do is say, how do, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you love anyone that crosses your paths? You do not harbor hatred against your brother. It's a willful choice that, that no matter what you say or do or think about me, there will be no hatred in my heart towards you. I, I mean, we can come up with some real fancy things and we can, get, we can fill this place by doing some real slick sermon series. But right there, how do I love you as myself as I don't harbor any hatred towards you? Allow the Holy Spirit to just begin to say, man, do you have hatred towards anybody in you? You love your neighbor by, this is a good one, rebuke your neighbor directly. That's so tough. It's so tough because, man, what, how are they going to respond? It's so tough because how am I going to say it that's lovingly? How, how, it's so tough because I'm non-confrontational. It's so much easier just passive-aggressive, put it on Facebook, even though we all know who you're talking about, right? But it's so much easier to do that. But, it, but remember the word says, hey, come let us reason together. We're so often so ready to rebuke. Man, especially this season right now, Halloween, man, we're ready as Christians to just let the rebukes fly, aren't we? But wouldn't it look better if we say, hey, why don't you come around this table? Let's have a couple of cold Dr. Peppers. Let's reason together. Let's see what this is about. Or, or, or you say, hey, if I have a problem with you, you're going to be the first person that hears about it. You're not going to hear it from anybody else. And he tells us how to in Matthew 18. That's the beauty of walking through scriptures. Matthew 18, he says, hey, if someone's done something against you, go to that person directly. Present it before them. If they repent, great. If they don't, go find another brother. Not someone that's on your side. Not, not, not mm, yeah, they know, they know the whole thing and let's go get them, we'll gang up on them. Bring somebody that's impartial. Go before them. If they're still unrepentant, then the word says in Matthew 18 to bring them before the church. But you do all of those things with the heart of reconciliation. You don't get to rebuke somebody because of their beliefs, because of their, their lifestyles, because of anything, just so that you can feel good about yourself. Because you spewed it out and it was the word of God and by God I did what I was supposed to do. Never. Rebuke them directly. Reason with them. Uh, there's, a, there's a great couple that, that we're friends with, and, and they've been able to just sit down with this lady and go, hey, man, let's just look at this. Let, let's get some help with the finances. Like, let's just reason together. Let's go through these together. And how can we come about this with a better solution? I mean, would it, would it be so much better and maybe shock value and you feel good about yourself to say, why are you spending $72 on Dr. Pepper's every week? Man, wouldn't that just feel good? Actually, it's not that much this week. Somebody gave me a 12-pack, so we're good. But, but wouldn't it be like, are you serious? Why are you eating out when you have no money to pay this? That's not the way to do it. Come, let us reason together. If you love your neighbor, you're more willing to say, hey, why don't you sit down together and let's go through this together. Or, hey, Kelly, I, I see this in your life and I see that this is what the past scripture is saying. Can you just help me walk through this? 
I mean, we sat down with this guy that was, that we felt needed to just sit down and said, hey, here's a passage of scripture. You're doing this. Can you tell me how you came to that conclusion? And you know what he did? He was able to walk through and go, well, man, this is what the word says. This is how I'm interpreting it based on this, this, and this. And so that's why I'm doing that. And your grace level for someone just like goes through the roof. You're like, how can I support you, man? I'll be there for you. But before, it's so easier to say, man, that is sin and just get out of here. Man, don't bring that crap into this church. No way. You sit down and you reason together. How do you love one another as yourself? Right? It, it says, uh, but love your neighbor as yourself. There's another one. Don't, don't take revenge. Don't bear a grudge against members of your community. When, when there, there's no anger in your heart towards anybody, there's no grudges. You don't seek revenge. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 goes all through there what love is. Keeps no record of wrongs. We want revenge because revenge feels good to us. But when we seek revenge, it is seeking to love me, not my neighbor as myself. Because how would I want someone to respond to me in that situation? Not the way that I'm wanting to respond right now. When I've done something to, to offend somebody, man, I don't want them to plot revenge against me. I don't want them to be like, man, I can't wait till he trips up or wait till he sees that. Man, I can't. We love one another by not harboring anger, by rebuking them privately, by, by reasoning with them. Can, and can I tell you something on the reasoning together? If, if you're wanting to call it out, then you better be willing to walk it out. You don't have any right to say, hey, Brady, I see this in your life and you need to get it fixed. You need to say, hey, Brady, I see this in your life and let's get there together, man. You don't get to call it out in people and then walk away. If you're going to call it out in them, then walk it out with them. Help them get to that place of restoration, of reconciliation with the Father. If we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, that means no revenge in me, no plotting for me. There, there's, uh, this is mentioned one other time in Matthew chapter 5, actually, this, this uh, love your neighbor as yourself. It's mentioned one more time, Matthew chapter 19, verse 19 also. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, and this will be our last one on how to love your neighbor as yourself. You have heard that it was said, this is Matthew 5, 43, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So how do we love our neighbors? We pray for them. We don't hold, we don't harbor anger. We don't seek revenge. We rebuke them privately. We reason it with them together. And then we pray for them. You, you want to talk about love that will begin to just well up inside of you for somebody when you begin to pray for them? When, when you just begin to pray for them by name, man, the Lord will begin to reveal them to you. And, and there will be no anger, no revenge, nothing in you. And you're like, okay, I'm going to do that. And today you'll do that. And you're like, man, it's not there. Do it tomorrow. And do it the next day. And do it the day after. When you begin to pray for somebody, your love 
for them begins, begins to explode. You will find that your, your, what you thought, how much you could love somebody, will begin to expand. When, when you begin to pray for them, it's like, man, you see them in a whole new light. I love what, what I like about these commands, going back to Matthew chapter 22, is that, that they are dependent on one another. You cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and not love your neighbor as yourself. If you love him with all that you are, then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And if, in order to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to love the Lord your God. It, it takes both. It's in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. One more passage. We're going to get to some practical things. 1 John chapter 4. It says, If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. It, it's plain and simple. If you, love, if you say that you love him, but yet there is hate in your heart towards someone else, then you're a liar. Those are strong words. And you're like, but, but Lord, you, you died on a cross for me. It's easy to love you. They, they are a thorn in my side. And he says, if you say that you love me, but you don't love them, then you're a liar. Puts it in a whole new perspective. When Jesus said that these are the first and second greatest commands, he means it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. These are essential. I mean, we can get into all the things outside of here, but this is essential to our Christian walk and to our Christian faith. Like, like this is the starting, maybe the starting point is to, to come into relationship with him, right? And, and to confess him as Lord and Savior, believe in your heart, confess all that stuff. But then this is like the first building block. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do anything else if you're not doing that. Everything else you try will fail. You'll be frustrated. You'll leave church after church after church because you're frustrated with the pastor, with the worship pastor, with the people, and you're just trying to find the perfect church. It does not exist. The perfect church is the one that nobody attends, <laughs> including the pastor. Like, where no one comes, that's the perfect church. Because if you come to church long enough, if you're in a relationship long enough, people are just going to suck. They're going to hurt you. They're going to offend you. And that hate is going to begin to rise up in you. And you'll notice that your love for the Father will begin to fall. You, you talk to so many people that where, where they're struggling with their love for the Father, it's because they have hatred towards their brothers or sisters. It's so bad that, that like it will prevent you from walking in blessings that he's preordained for you. Because you can't get there walking in hate and revenge and bitterness and unforgiveness. He said that unless you forgive those who have sinned against you, then the Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Good sermon today, man. Good sermon. Love it. Man, I mean, just your sins aren't forgiven unless you forgive others. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. 
to love your neighbor, anybody who crosses your path as yourself. If you don't do that, then you're a liar. Man, good words, encouragement. But here's the joy, that the commands that the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant followed, there was no grace, there was no mercy, there was no love in them. Now we walk in a new covenant. And now we get to walk where it says to love him with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And we're able to do that. We were unable to fulfill the Ten Commandments and the 613 commands of Jesus. Unable. It was never meant to be something that could be fulfilled by man. It says that the purpose of the law was to reveal sin. So it was never supposed to reveal our godliness, which is what the priests and the religious elites tried. They wanted it to reveal their religiousness-ish. But all it does is reveal our sin. But now because of the new covenant, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, it's attainable. You can do it. To love him with all of our heart, with our, with our thoughts and our words and our actions my encouragement today for you is to go, man, where, where am I not loving him with my thoughts? Where am I allowing my mind to go to a place that is unhealthy? To begin to think about him in a certain way, to begin to think about others in a certain way. 2 Corinthians 10, 7 says to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the will of Christ. You don't have to because now we're in the new covenant. I don't have to let that thought run wild. Have you ever had that argument with someone in your head and you've done their part and you've done your part too, like you're arguing and it's never even happened and you like, you're arguing with them and then they're arguing back with you but you're the other person too. And it's like your mind just will run wild. But if we're gonna love the Lord with all of our heart, it means to take those thoughts captive and not let them run wild about him or about others. To, to love him with all of our words. Man, are our words, there's so many uh, commands there that, talking about how to use our words. Do, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Right? Like, are my words building up and encouraging one another? Are, are my words being used for his purposes? These are real simple, practical things. You can ask the Lord. Like, Father, put a guard over my mouth. Let, let only the words that you have come out of my mouth. Let nothing of my flesh come out. In my actions, if you want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, it's your actions. He says, if you love me, then you'll obey me. If not, then you're a liar. If you say that you love me, but you don't follow my commands, then you're a liar. Our actions must follow that. So, encouragement today. You get to be able to get alone with the Father and say, Father, is there any place in my heart, my thoughts, my words, my deeds that's not honoring you, that's not professing my love for you? Because we can say that we love him all day long, but yet by our choices not do that. I can say that I love my wife all day long, but if I choose to look at inappropriate images, what am I saying? I'm a liar. I, I can say I love you, Father, with all of my heart, but yet do my own thing my own way. My encouragement to you is to ask the Holy Spirit, where is my heart not fully given to you? 
The next one is the soul with our, with our, our desires and our, our affections. To once again, to place him at the center of that. So many times we, we place him at the end of the day. After everything else has happened, what we do it with, with our, you know, even our giving can become that way. Where, where we make sure that we take care of everything else. And then let's see how much the Lord has left over. But it changes when, when you say, I'm going to give first. And then whatever else you need to do, Father, you can do it. It's so hard to say to love him with all of your soul because our desires and our affections are so fickle. Our, our emotions will like lead us astray. Like our desires, we, we want this, we want to do that. And, and, and you look up and you're so far off of it. Begin to ask him, Father, are there any desires that are not submitted to you? Is there anything that, that I'm wanting to achieve in this life that has no eternal value. Am I seeking this promotion for higher status or so that I have more disposable income to give to your kingdom and to your purposes? Am I seeking these things? Do, do I want to be healthy? Do I, do I want to lose weight and eat right so that I can look good in, in my, my beach body, which I don't have, and it's weird to say, right? So that I can look good, feel good, and people can go, man, you... You're doing it right. What you doing, Jeff? Or am I saying, hey, I want to eat healthy and live right so that my kids will see a grandpa that's active with their kids. So that you, you see how just one little twist, like it's not a bad desire to be healthy. We should probably have that. But why? So people can look at you or so that you can be there for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. That's what it's about. Like, like where, where are my affections? Are, are my affections on the things of this world? Am I allowing the, the, the media to show me and to portray these things that I want and I desire? And that's stealing my affections from the Father. The last practical way is our, our mind with our intellect and our attitudes. Joseph Prince is this pastor that I love to listen to, and he says that right Thinking leads to right, or right believing leads to right living. You, you will not live right if you can't think right. If you're continually focusing on things that, that are not good for you, you will not live right. Surrender your mind to him. What are you thinking about all day long? I, I, I mean... I, I err just as much as anybody else, probably more. But we can, we can spout off statistics on sports games, on the government, on how much they waste of our money. Like we can go through all of these things. We can tell you all of the political ramifications of this and this new bill that they want to pass. We can do all of that. And we dwell on it and we fill our mind with all of this stuff. But the word of God says to whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Whatever is just, whatever is righteous, think on these things. What you fill your mind with directly affects how you live this life. If you continue to fill it full of all that stuff, then you don't leave room for the Father to renew your mind so that you can be transformed into the image of your Creator. These 
commands, they complement each other. You can't do one without the other. I'm going to pray for us. This is a sermon that you have to walk out. He says, listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Listen with the intent to obey. If you came here today to just hear a good message, you're going to be disappointed. But if you came here to listen with the intent to obey, then I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you something to take hold of. So, Father, we just come before you. We, we give you this message. and Father, we don't want to just come here to listen to become smarter, more knowledgeable. But, Father, we, we want to live lives that are pleasing to you. Father, I pray that you would continue to teach us what does it look like to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and how can we possibly love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, I pray that you would continue to bring us to that maturity that we could do that. Father, I love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.